This podcast is part of the How We Are Network. For information on this episode and many other like-minded shows, visit howweare.org. That's H-O-W-W-E-A-R-E dot O-R-G. Welcome to 2014 and another million episodes from 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your humble host, Ray Harkins, and this is a very reflective time of the year. You know, everyone's kind of waking up from their holiday slumber and get back in the swing of things. I am actually on vacation right now. I'm in Maui. It's beautiful, obviously. I mean, if you've ever been to Maui. And this is my first time here. Uh, I always tend to go on a little family vacation at the beginning of the year, and it always kind of randomly ends up being Hawaii. So yeah, go to Hawaii. I guess I don't really need to recommend that, but (laughs) there's so much stuff I want to talk to you about. But first and foremost, let's talk about our guest, Elgin James. He is a filmmaker, and he is also a founding member of a lot of hardcore bands within the Boston scene. Uh, played in Righteous Jams, played in 454 Big Block, and then a bunch of other stuff that you will come to find out in the interview that I did. I met up with him at his house in the Silver Lake Los Feliz area in California, and uh, I've known the guy for a while, and contrary to a lot of people's opinions in regards to the fact that it's like, oh, wow, Elgin James started FSU, and he's a gang member, and there's all he comes with a lot of baggage attached to him in regards to that. I have never known any other side of him beyond just being an awesome dude. I've worked with him professionally when I worked with his old band Righteous Jams at a record label I used to work for. Yeah, he just was was always so professional, so on top of things. And um, yeah, it's awesome to see him be able to grow past that sort of weird stage in his life and be able to be a very successful and independent filmmaker. So more on him in a minute. Let's talk about propertyofzack.com. They are our partners and we love working with them and we'll probably work with them until I decided not to do this anymore. But that's not coming anytime soon. So visit propertyofzack.com, find out about the latest and greatest in independent music, and you will become educated. That's what I do, and I recommend you do as well. Go to the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com. You can probably catch up. I think there's I'm posting a few things here and there in regards to people's year-end lists. I basically asked those previous guests of the show if they wanted to give me their year-end list, whether it's like top records, books, movies, or just things that happen in general. So yeah, visit the site. I try to post on a daily basis, just fun stuff I trip across on the internet. The download numbers have been spectacular. Like it just seems that more and more people kind of come on board of the show and interact with me either via email or Twitter. And if you want to email the show, it's 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And, you know, I'm getting like press releases and people pitching me on, hey, have this person on the show. So slowly becoming this very, very real thing. And I'm excited about it. I love that. And I love that you people are along on this journey because I was about to say, that's the only way that it continues, but that's not true. I'm doing this for free. I'm doing this out of uh, just my own personal interest and satisfaction out of it. So, but anyways, what I'm trying to say is no matter where you've joined on this show's journey, thank you for continuing the journey with me. There's there's going to be some changes over the course of the next few months or so. Um, I'm going to be bothering you in regards to other ideas because, you know, the whole 
person-on-person interview format is obviously something that I think that this show is, you know, does well and it's fun, but I'm also interested in kind of doing these other segments, you know, maybe bringing in some of my previous guests on doing their own little bit on the show. So anyways, I'll be asking you for some things in the future, some opinions, and I want you to share that because I I really want this to be an open dialogue. I want this show to be obviously what you want. I'm not going to change it from what I want, but I love to hear what people feel is the most interesting thing. Like the year-end show that we just did, it's one of the most popular shows of the year. People love to hear the music that we listen to and just kind of the, the general camaraderie that I have with my friends. It's it's fun to get that feedback of like, yes, talk more about music and yeah, that sort of stuff. So yeah, without further ado, here's Elgin. Uh, I met, like I said, I met at his house. We talked about a ton of different stuff. If you haven't checked out his movie, Little Birds, I highly recommend it. He's doing a lot of great work in the filmmaking area of things, and it's just so exciting because over the course of the next, like, I would say five to ten years, he's going to be a name that you will see repeatedly coming up. Here's up. I feel it inside. What you see is all me for far too long. You want it down in silence, but the roles are reversed. That's how it tastes your defeat. Differences all stay on top. With discipline, I'll prove you wrong. I usually set these things off as just like my own first introduction to, you know, kind of your musical output, that sort of thing. I mean, obviously it was like when we dealt with each other professionally. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I mean, I heard your name just like as in most people do within hardcore where it's just like, oh, Elgin, like, you know, right. like, yeah, Righteous Jams, that sort of stuff. Oh, that dickhead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was surprising. I mean, it's funny you joke about that. Surprisingly, I never, um, no one, like, at least to me, it wasn't like Elgin and a quantifier. Like, right. oh, Elgin, the worst dude ever. Right. Elgin, FSU. Elgin, like, whatever. There was, like, there were things that, I mean, I learned about you as I obviously got to know you. Right. Um, but, I mean, I'm glad that I got to know you in that context and just, like, obviously know you as a person rather than know you as an entity. Right, right, right. right. I mean, and I, I use that in, obviously, it's such a microcosm of the hardcore world is not, right. like, you know, yeah, it's, it's not like Jeff Bridges as an entity. Exactly. But, um, like, do you... I wish I was more like Jeff Bridges as an entity. <laughs> I mean, who, who doesn't? <laughs> But the um, the idea of obviously people getting to know you based on preconceived notions, like do you, well, for one, do you still battle that? And for two, is it one of those things that you just, you know, you obviously just choose to ignore it and hopefully people will yeah, get you at face value? Yeah, exactly. It becomes definitely still hit with it all the time. Um, and, uh, but it's only because when people, they have, everyone, we all have this humans, we have to give everything a shortcut. Mm-hmm. We figure, oh, this is black, this is white. Right. You know, there's not a lot of room for gray in between. So I totally understand. And then as getting involved with like, you know, any sort of entertainment, it becomes even more like smaller. And as mm-hmm. like, okay, this guy is that. Or this guy is plucked from the gang world and is now this. You know what I mean? Everything becomes very right. simplified and simplified. Um, but yeah, I deal with it. I think in the beginning, what was hard for me of trying to, it wasn't even like that much of a... I mean, it was a huge change to my life, my mm-hmm. actions, but it wasn't really change to the core of who I am. But then you do the opposite of always trying to make everyone comfortable. Like, oh, no, I'm not that guy. I'm this really nice guy, you know? Yeah. And then also have to, like, kind of grow out of that, too, and just be comfortable in your own skin. <laughs> right, you know? right. In, in a way, I'm sure you felt like you were having to, you know, just accentuate this this niceness or like pandering in a way where right. you were just like yeah like no like hey yeah. i'm eligible i'm enthusiastic like exactly we're, i'm cool yeah 
And that's what it was like when you're getting into, especially first getting into this industry, into the film industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one, there's such this fake macho thing, like in Hollywood. That's like what it operates on, this kind of male-dominated world. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they're expecting. And I have no interest in that whatsoever. Right. And then, but I was trying to convince people to let me make this movie about two 15 year old girls. You right. know what I mean? So I still, I mean, I still deal with it all the time. Like people still, you know, they expect to see like a gang member walk up. Right. You know? And then you have it, you know, and so then they see you and I'm just like, hey man, that's cool. Let's make a movie. This is awesome. And they're just like, that dude's not a real gang member. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Like, right. Like, it goes back and forth between the two. Your quote unquote credibility as this other entity that you're known for it gets discredited like you're yeah, just like oh that's a normal person yeah. right right oh yeah that, that's stuff, that stuff that like pretty much shaped who he was as a person like oh I don't even believe that's real yeah exactly it's true I remember having this and the, the time when I actually stopped the whole kind of like trying to quantify myself mm-hmm. was I had this interview with uh, with a major newspaper just obviously it wasn't about he was about the film and about uh, right. Sundance Labs uh-huh. and uh, basically the you know, biggest newspaper in the world. I'm not going to call yeah, it yeah. out directly. Sure, sure. But, um, and I had, you know, we meet with this guy. We meet at Fred 62. Okay. You know, most feel is, right? Right. And, you know, so we're hanging out. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm trying to show him my world that I, you know, because Juno and I spent two years in Fred 62 basically, like, making our movie, talking about our movie, daydreaming about the things we are going to do and becoming, like, you know, best friends, becoming, like, blood and family. Right. Juno Temple, who's in, you know, Little Birds. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and so I bring this guy there, you know, and I'm having like, you know, a soy drink. I'm just doing all this stuff. I'm just so excited to talk to him. I'm trying to relate to growing up uh, punk rock in a small farm town like I did. Right. And he'd grown up uh, gay in a small town, like okay. somewhere in the Midwest. So I was totally, I'm like, that's the same. I'm like totally correlating these two things and totally connecting with him. And then when the article came out and I left, like, that's awesome. What a great guy. Like, we totally bonded. Yeah. And then the article comes out and it's totally like, I don't believe this guy did this. I don't believe this guy. You know, all this right, stuff like right. that. Well, it's like, well, then you probably just should have read my FBI affidavit. And right. like that. <laughs> As opposed to, like, here I am trying to, like, bomb. This is great, man. Right, and then right. it's totally, like, the most snarky, like, and I was really upset about it. I'm like, yo, let's, I'm like, and I talked to Michelle Satter, who's one of the people who discovered me with Robert Redford afterwards. Right. And I was just like, I can't believe this. Like, this guy was like, you know, totally discredit, not even just discredit, like, you know, this, you know, whatever. Like, just as a, like, as, a, as like a human being to a human being or trying to open up and then right, just right. like basically be so snarky to you afterwards. Right. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to, you know, you just want to close back up of like, yo, fuck that dude. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then she was just like, no, man, that's a whole thing with, you know, whether it's doing music, whether it's doing film, whether it's doing anything, man, is you just need to stay open mm-hmm. and things are going to fall as they fall. You know right. what I mean? But you just got to stay like on your own path. Yeah. So, totally. That was, that and, was and the last time. I, and I, 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 I like, I mean, the, the way that that is. Is because it's like, or at least the way I see it, where it's like, obviously, if you're consistent in who you are and yeah. like the way that you present yourself, it will eventually obviously outweigh whatever preconceived notions that people may have or like agendas. Because like right. in writing that piece on you, he, pro- he probably had 90% of it done. 100%. Totally. <laughs> and, and, we, yeah, yeah. you're totally right. We even talked about, and I joked about how other people when they've done articles have just gone to the Wikipedia page. Right. Which yeah. is just, you know, obviously all bullshit. Anyone can say it. Right, I'm right. Like, and I laugh. I'm like, well, hopefully you don't go to it when, you know, someone has wiped it out and it just says, like, Elton James sucks or something. Right, like right, right, right. And then he, I swear to God, because we didn't touch about anything in the past or any of that stuff like that. And yeah. then in the article, he literally had just gone to the Wikipedia page and, like, cut yeah. paste and stuff. So depressing. So yeah. depressing. And there's another time with another, not to go off on this. No, it's fine. Know, there's another thing where there is um, this uh, movie th- that I love, and it was about war and it was about battle. And I got to sit down with the uh, with a screenwriter from it, and I was so excited. Yeah. 
And I was totally just like, oh my God, I'm here with you. I don't, I'm not worthy. And he's just right. like, you know, kind of like, again, this kind of wannabe macho, like Hollywood thing, like cigar and like the whole deal. <laughs> and he was just making me sing and dance like the first like 10, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Just like, I read all about you. Like, I don't like you. Like this whole thing. And I was just like, oh no, I'm just like an artist, man. You know, I'm just like this. Yeah, this. yeah. And cause this was really, really early on. This is like when I first went, um, basically first, I just wrote my first script. Sure. And then it was, and it was so funny to this guy, you know, and this guy, you know, had written about war, had never been to war, had never done these things. He just lived on this, again, this whole Hollywood masculine thing. Right. And it was later, and I was so excited when I finally got his, like, oh, yeah, you're one of the guys. Like, this is great. You should come down to poker night, which is, like, sounds like a nightmare to me. Oh, yeah. A bunch of middle-aged dudes smoking cigars and playing poker. <laughs> yeah, never cool. Do it. Sign me up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um... But, you know, but after I was just sort of like, oh man, like again, now that guy likes me, you know, I mean, that guy, we know now, now I'm totally accepted. And mm-hmm. like, and then it's funny to go through this cycle, then get into the industry, like through the whole battle of getting a film made, getting beaten up and destroyed through that process. Cause it's, it is hell. And mm-hmm. it's like going to war, war. Right. And, you know, then going to prison and I literally had just gone out of prison and I'd gone out to eat with uh, with my wife, mm-hmm. and she works in Beverly Hills, and so we just happened to go to some fancy place in Beverly Hills, and literally I was like a week and a half out of prison, still incarcerated in a halfway house, just on a pass. Right. And uh, and then I see this dude, and he's there with like three other screenwriters, and then they're with like Antonio Banderas or something like sure. that. I'm sure he's a great guy, but this right. sort of like, again, this whole fake Hollywood thing, all smoking cigars at this outdoor Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills patio. Right. And, uh, and I'm like, that's it. That's like Hollywood, like in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean? Like that is a total snapshot. That is that. a total snapshot of that. And I can't believe that just three years ago, I was like, oh my God, please accept me. Right, you right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not a bad guy. Yeah. I'm not a bad guy. Then it's just like, oh my God, all this stuff is just so much. I mean, so much of the world, it's not even this industry, it's just built on artifice. Oh, cool. oh totally, know? totally. To back things up, like obviously, like as we were, you know, we'll... As you were hitting on your movies and obviously how you got started and stuff like that, but you were born and raised. Were you always East Coast? I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always East Coast. I grew up originally in this little farm. I, grew up, I was born originally in New York and all that stuff is, you know, I was like in the city. Mm-hmm. And then I grew up on a farm like yeah. in rural New England. Okay. That's where I spent the majority of my life. Kind of like, probably no one knows where like the biggest thing to us was uh, a city called Waterbury, Connecticut. Okay, okay yeah, yeah. Which is, most people have never heard of, and it's probably just this old, depressing, like, mill town. Yeah. Which we thought was awesome. I was, like, the big city, and I lived a half hour away from that, like, right. further into the woods. I definitely played a show in Waterbury, Connecticut. Did you really? Before, so, yeah, no, I... That's I, awesome. Yeah, yeah. You describing that, it's like, oh, yeah, that just brought back that flood of memory of being like, oh, yeah, that is kind of like a old, depressed town. Like, really? just, totally. you can tell the industry left. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so the town I grew up was, like, a farm town, and we're mm-hmm. kind of, like, a half hour away from that. Why, why, why the rural community? Like, was it because the people, the uh, people who adopted me, uh-huh. became my parents. Sure, uh, they've been civil rights activists and hippies and stuff, and they kind of oh. had this ideal. You know, my dad was from Louisiana, and uh, he was a minister, and they had this ideal of going. You know, because you know now the sixties were over, and it's the seventies of going to like rural New England and like having a farm and like sure. going back to the earth and stuff, and, right? Like, so that's 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 uh, that's where we grew up, and then you know the reality comes in. It's like, oh wow, this is really expensive. Right. We can't afford this, and like they had a big crop of marijuana, as like in our backyard, mm-hmm. which is funny. 
they're good at growing that, not much about everything else, but I grew up with like pigs and sheep and everything else. The family structure that you had was, was it, did you have, did you have like stepbrothers and steps or what? I don't even I know. Say, just, yeah. Like, like adopted brothers and sisters. Okay. And stuff. Yeah, I had yeah. like a couple foster brothers. Okay. That's what I was, yeah. I was sure where I was like, step, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. I had like foster brothers and I had like two like adopted sisters. I was, okay. like, I was like the youngest out of everyone. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so the, uh, so basically they just like grew marijuana and that's like how they made their living. No, my dad was, uh, my dad was a minister. He was like a pastoral counselor. Oh, okay. So I guess you counsel like pastors or people like in, you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I remember yeah. we'd go to like the nunneries and stuff like that. And oh, thought, sure. Like to work with the nuns, even though he was, you know, um, wasn't Catholic, uh-huh. but work with priests and nuns and stuff. And, uh, and my mom worked in the factory. There was a big factory there called Torrington Factory. So oh, okay. Basically everyone in the family like worked at the factory. It was got like it, got a little it. small, little factory, poor little town. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to paint your uh, parents as drug dealers, but... <laughs> I was just... No, no, I was no, like, yeah, oh, yeah, so they, they've been delivering yeah, yeah. up something for a while. So it would be so much cooler. Right, right, so, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, it's not it's not without, I mean, precedent, because obviously it's like you do hear people where it's just like, oh, yeah, they just kind of get their own uh, little crop of land, and then, yeah, they just have their so, own yeah, marijuana totally, plants. And exactly, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it was like rural New England and not Humboldt sure. County. In right, right, yeah, not weed California. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We've been much better off if they'd done that instead of a factory. And so the... The you know was it one of those things like obviously as you you know when was it revealed to you that it's like oh hey you were adopted like you know the, I always knew I right. always knew like I like I you know I'd had memories of being like other places and stuff like that so I always I always knew growing uh-huh. up there was like straightforward what age what like age were you adopted I don't know I was like I was still really young yeah it's probably under like, five probably yeah, yeah, yeah yeah definitely without a doubt yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, so I always know I always grew up knowing. And then also, I mean, they're white and I'm not. Right, right. Like, I mean, so that that helped. Yeah. Being like mixed race. And I had a sister who was mixed race as well. Oh, okay. And who's, you know, uh, much older than me. My parents had gotten her out of, they basically had to smuggle her out of uh, Missouri because she was like a product of a crime. So at the time, it was illegal for, you know, white people and black people. Oh, to wow. Yeah. Fornicate, I guess, would be the, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. the word. So they basically had like an like an underground railroad to get her out of there wow. and to and they adopted her. So I had and then I had like a um, again a, a black uh, two black older uh, foster brothers. Wow, yeah. So I mean, basically, it was just it was a it was a total family of mutts, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, everyone it was like a comes... rainbow coalition. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Kids, I yeah. mean, that that must combine with the fact that you were in a rural farming community. Like, what? I mean, was it just one of those things where it's like? I mean, it was normal to you, but I'm sure like to the outside world. Oh yeah, was it... it was not normal exactly. And they were all way older than me, so it was different. And I right. think even my older foster brother. I mean, he was probably like or so he's like mm-hmm. way older than I um, and he's when he, you know I discovered punk rock through so he was kind of like and he was like straight black he was from the he was West Indian wow so he was kind of like and there was a bunch of skater kids at the time like uh-huh. in this little town and so he they had this little punk rock band okay and so that was kind of he was kind of like you know every scene that sounds terrible being which like I'd say every time I was like oh they're token black kid of That's course punk rock and hardcore right 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 yeah totally and if you're lucky you live in a city maybe you have like a few dozen you know but for right. the most part it's just like but in this little area, it was this like my foster brother Gladwin, right? And uh, so I had this punk rock band, and I always I wanted to be like them because it was yeah. so cool. So I was always like, trying to figure like, what's punk rock. I couldn't figure out what punk rock was. This was obviously pre-internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was yeah. always trying to figure it out. I was always trying to listen, and they wouldn't listen. He always listened to stuff on his headphones. So I couldn't hear anything. Right. It was really fun. So I mean, totally epitome of a tack along. Just like, just oh, take completely. me there. Can I listen uh, to that? Completely. Yeah, and they had no interest in me whatsoever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were not, yeah, like, they opened up this world to me, but then, and it's funny, because then as soon as I got into it, 
and then a toy like surpass them. I right. Like, oh, cool. I mean, I love the Sex Pistols. Like, oh, the Sex Pistols and this and this and the Clash. Yeah. And I was like, then I jump in. I'm like 12 years old. I'm like, what about millions of dead cops? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is fucking awesome. Right, right. Yeah. Where, where's the raw shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where's Christ on Parade? Like, that's <laughs> stuff you're listening to. Right, right. The um, but I mean, it sounds it sounds like the environment that you're raising was 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 pretty loving, for lack of a better term. Yeah, well, now I mean, not no, I mean, not in the house for sure. Okay. It definitely had its like, you know. I mean, my mom was awesome. My mom was the fucking my mom. She was she was the the, the rock. She was the rock. Exactly. Yeah. She was learning how actually weak men really are, and how we get to see children our whole lives. My dad was a really big guy. He was uh-huh. like three hundred something pounds. He's okay. like a big, burly, big beard. Yeah. Um. How you know everyone tries to look now? He's <laughs> like my dad. Everyone tries to look now. Is basically yeah, yeah, my dad. yeah. But then realizing how he was still such a child, you know, he mm-hmm. had this his temper and his anger and all these other things that kind of like everyone was so fearful in the house mm-hmm. um then he realized it was like my mom went the farm we lost everything when losing the house it was like my my dad was off god knows where mm-hmm. it was my mom when we didn't have enough grain to like feed the sheep and the sheep died and we didn't even know until years later because my mom who weighed like 101 pounds was out there with a shovel like burying you know in the, wow. in the winter digging a grave for like in the hard like ground so that's where I really and I was such like a super mama's boy like, my mom was rad so there's lots of love in that way and especially trying to protect from all the violence and everything else and it was really it was a racist it was a racist really racist town sure sure and being New England I got you know I got I grew up getting called getting called nigger all the time and darky mm-hmm. and stuff and there's like a story I always tell when I was like I was like first or second grade and I was at school and everyone called me nigger. Right. And I had a big afro at the time. So even though like I'm kind of li- I'm like very light skinned, like people could even think I was Italian or something like that. But right. I had a big old unruly afro and you live in this little town. I was like, oh, nigger. Right. And so, and then I came home and I was, you know, with my, you know, my sisters were around or something. And I was just like to one of them, like, yeah, you stupid nigger. And my mom's like, what? Yeah. Re- record off the needle. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what? And she and she's like, "Where'd you hear that?" I'm like, "I just thought it was like this great burn." Yeah, you, know, yeah. Like, you jerk, I'm like, yeah. you nigger. And yeah. I called. I had like a mixed race sister and a white sister, and I called my white sister a nigger because I didn't really understand it. Yeah, of course. And uh, uh, and then you know, it was explained to me what it right. meant. Like, I called it every day, and then that's when my fighting career started. Right. <laughs> and that's when you're like, I take offense to that. Yes, I'm gonna look at this into a different viewpoint now. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's really what I mean. That's where punk rock came in, is because I grew up again being called nigger, being toy the outcast, right, and not feeling comfortable anymore. And even the kids, you know, my older siblings, for some reason, had a much easier time. I don't know what it was, you know. Mm-hmm. How it was. And so, the, but then I went from being that's why I got into punk rock really young, and I want to know what my brother's listening to, what these kids are all about, right. And then when I discovered it for myself, when I like, you know, was 13, 12 or 13, I think, first had my mom shave my head into a mohawk. And suddenly he was like, now you hate me because I'm punk rock instead of because I'm dark skinned. Right. It became very much this quick turn. Oh, like, yeah. You, hey. That's that's really So it's like you felt in a way that you could take ownership of the like sort of outcast nature. That's exactly right. It's a great way to put it. It's exactly right. And I always, I felt so bad for my mom who's mm-hmm. like this, you know, you know, beautiful, petite, like, white woman having to walk around with me. Like, I felt embarrassed for it when I was a little kid because I was like, right. I feel so dirty. I'm like, I'm... Right, you're like, I knew, I know something's wrong with me. I know something's wrong. Yeah, everyone yeah. Look at, looks at you and as soon as someone's in, now I started to understand as I got older why everyone would stare at us all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is before Sandra Bullock and Charlize Theron right, right. and Us Weekly with their dark-skinned kids. <laughs> exactly. 
so you know so I always feel this shame and I always feel so bad for my mom yeah and then and she obviously was never embarrassed of me no right right still I had a mohawk you know what I mean like a big swastika with an X suit on my shirt then all of a sudden maybe she's a little embarrassed about <laughs> right then she's like you need to call down all yeah exactly but that then I was like oh no this is why they're staring at us so much so many things that got put on your shoulders that obviously like you couldn't control but then yeah when you feel because I mean that that age is obviously so important because you don't feel in control of anything. That's like right. you're told to go to school, you're told to, you know, whatever, clean up the house, clean up your room, whatever. But then like when you feel like you can take just that little nugget of like ownership. That's right. Then that's when it's like, you know, you can shift it. You can, it, at least it helps your, you know, young brain shift some perspective to where it's like, okay, like this isn't manageable, but this is. This is, that's exactly right. And this, I'm, and that's true. I think that's our whole, and that's when you're younger, but I think our whole lives we're trying to look for control in some way oh that's totally go to religion that's why some people have ocd that's why some people knock on wood you know trying to figure mm-hmm. out some sort of control and that's why when you're a kid you're right and it comes out because even more so because everything is still so new and mm-hmm. raw and painful yeah and that's why people cut themselves that's why people do other things like that because it's the right. one thing that you can actually control right did you uh like you said you just basically you know you started to react with people calling you names with your fists like was it do you attribute that as a product to the fact that there was obviously like you you already witnessed violence through your 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 yeah, father yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah i think that you just learn how to deal with things definitely right. And it's funny because my dad was a pacifist, but there was right. always something I, you know, I have, especially being older yeah. and being a man and understanding my father now, like I have, and he's passed away and I mm-hmm. got to make peace with him by the end. Cause I was, my mom was my mom and on Father's Day, I would like give her a Father's Day card and not him cause she raised me. Like, right, 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 right. Yeah. You're like, all the credit goes to you. Goes to right. her, exactly. Mm-hmm. Anything, and still to this day, man, anything that's good about me that anyone like thinks has worth is from my mom. Yeah, you know, yeah, completely. yeah. Right. But so now, so not to, you know, disparage my father because I made peace with him because yeah, my mom actually great, wanted right. me to. Yeah. So I understand his, you know, the struggles that he had. But yeah, learning how to, and he was a pacifist, but that was something that he afforded to the rest of the world. And that's why I always had such a problem with nonviolence and pacifism growing up. So I'm like, what a fucking crock because that dude was punching me in the face. But yeah, yeah. Was like, you know, that's so interesting because it's like, yeah, like, like you were talking about earlier, there's like an artifice that is created, but then it's like when, yeah, you experience yeah. it when it's like, oh, well at home, like, yeah. there's so much bad shit happening, but yet you're illustrating this album. Yeah. Exactly. You're talking about... It's a contradiction Martin, in terms. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're talking about Martin Luther King and Christ and Gandhi turning the other cheek. Yeah. And then, you know, my cheek still hurts from getting punched on the way here to your service. You right, know? right, right. Um, so that's that's why you obviously react like that was just a natural progression of like, well, this is the environment, so I'm, I'm getting... That's, exactly. And it wasn't... I mean, I... I and it was not successful because everyone was right. like, I was a really small kid. Yeah. Uh, you know... So it was, I started writing bad, but it was not successful until for another few, many years. Right. You had, um, to, you had to put your practice in for Yeah, while. exactly. I did. I had to pay my dues, especially when it seemed to be always the oldest and biggest kids that were calling right, you. Right, right, right. You're like eight years old. Right. You're like, well, yeah, well, I'll, I'll try this and I'll get yeah. the crap kicked out of it again. Again and again and again. It wasn't until luckily I went to, and it's really, it was, it was a spirit change when I got locked up when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And then you're, in a, you're then you're in um, then you get a lot more practice because then it's happening every day, right. <laughs> you know. But um, it's like a ten thousand hours. Of course, it's ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but then all of a sudden, I realized really quickly is like, holy shit! Is like if I punch you first, if I hit you with an inanimate object, mm-hmm. I win. It's that simple. <laughs> it doesn't matter that I'm someone smaller than you. And then that right. broke something completely else different in my brain. Yeah, no, it's like I can level the playing field. Yeah, exactly. I can level the playing field by picking up this chair and smashing you across the face <laughs> with it. Right, right. Not much you could say from the floor being knocked out. Yeah, exactly. So that's when I started to get it a little more as opposed to like the Wild West of like, let's put our dukes up by the flagpole. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that's how. I mean, that's how you learn it. You learn it from the world around you. And, and just course. being a kid, it's like I would just you want someone to protect you. You want someone to save you. Right. You know what I mean? And you can't. Every kid is their own island. You right. Know what I mean, you're your own mm-hmm. island, and you're in the middle of a fucking war. You yeah. Just put out to sea on a little raft, and totally. things can get rough, and there's lots of sharks and like you know, everything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. um and I remember watching on TV. It was like a sixty-minute special, mm-hmm. and it, there had it was in Chicago, and there, the Ku Klux Klan had had that rally there. Oh, sure. And there's all these people, and I was like, oh, because the Klan was huge in Connecticut, like in the '80s, in the '70s, and the '80s. It was like actually really big there. The Grand Wizard Dragon actually lived somewhere in Connecticut at the time. Oh, wow. And it had been decimated by not to do this whole history, but yeah, Morris yeah. Dees, who's one of my heroes from the Southern Poverty Law Center. They basically decimated the clan in the south, mm. and then it moved to the northeast. The northeast, okay, yeah. And uh, so there was always clan uh, in like even in our grammar school and stuff like that. There'd always be stuff like out of scratching the walls. There'd be cards hung out. There's this one kid in our town who was in the clan. He was very like he's like a this stoner kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, a former kid who's very proud of it. So you'd always see you know stuff everywhere, and they'd march in Torrington, Connecticut, which is where my mom's factory was. Oh, okay. Where we'd go uh, when I would go sit when during the summer. I would go just hang out in the car for like her eight hour shift to do something like that because you know I was super important daycare and everything. Right. So when I, I'm watching this, yeah, I grew up terrified of the clan. Like they were the fucking boogeymen to me completely, and I had nightmares of them. And I was like, I don't know how old I was, but I was like nine or something, eight or nine, and saw it on TV. And all of a sudden, there's all these people there throwing rocks and bricks at the clan. And there's this one thing: this someone had fallen, and this kid had you know this person. Who was white and mm-hmm. this uh, bandana over their face and like stomping on them, oh, like sure. fallen clan member. I was like, "Holy shit! Yeah. Like that's amazing! Like I want where are they? Like I want them to see, you know come save me, right?" And I remember my father talking about it, like you know violence is no way to handle this. Like what are they? You know, this is disgusting. They're just as bad. Mm-hmm. And to me, I was like, "Oh my god, that's like yeah. those are saviors!" Like yeah. I wish they were there every day when I get off the school bus and this farmer kid I'm talking about would always be in his pickup truck because he'd pick up his little sister from okay. grammar school. And so I'd go and I'd get off get off the school bus in a little, you know, town. And we didn't even have, like, an address. Like, our town is so small. Oh, sure, sure. And just put your name on it and it was, like, Candlebird's Farm and that was, like, your address. Right. And there's, there wasn't a street name. It was just, like, a route, like a rural route. Right. And I'd get off and the pickup truck would be there and every day he'd throw his trash on me or spit at me and be like, you know, die nigger, you and your whole Jew family, like, all that <laughs> shit. Yeah. And, uh... And then I was just like, damn, where were they? Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I went, like, about three o'clock tomorrow, you know, I have to yeah, do it. Could you be going. here? Could you be here? I just need like maybe two, maybe three of you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you never want to feel like you're, you know, a victim of your environment because you obviously feel like you do have some some sense of control of making a choice. But it's just like, you know, when you're completely inundated with it, it's like, it's easy to understand why that is your reaction. And you right. see something that is so powerful as far as like taking something back from something that is like clearly so wrong right like, you know and that like the, the vision of you know the Ku Klux Klan being stomped out by right. violence so like well yeah why like why is that wrong like right. that's great yeah exactly exactly right. exactly right. it's like I can't believe you know I see with kids I mean this is a kind of a leap but it's emotionally it felt the same mm-hmm. when you know when Osama bin Laden was finally killed mm-hmm. and you know and you see all these kids you know celebrating and dancing in the White House lawn and stuff yeah and I was with friends, and they're just like, "Oh man, that's like that's so fucked up." And I'm like, just like partying, I'm like, no, like those those that generation right there, these kids who are like 18 years old, were children when that happened with 9/11. That is totally. a boogeyman, and someone just killed the boogeyman. Of course, you know yeah, yeah. And that's how I felt as a kid, seeing that on 60 Minutes. I think it was whatever program it was, right. 2020, and just being like, 
Holy oh shit, someone is slaying the boogeyman right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. I am witnessing this. Yeah. As you as you started to, you know, become more immersed in, in, in music and obviously, like, I presume, like, school for you was just one of those things where it's like, you just went to, you didn't put much time and effort into the actual, like... Oh, no, I was, yeah, I was... I was Just always, skated by, just... So I, like, I, like, jumped a year early, so I was, like, a year younger than everyone. Oh, okay. And I was little, and then I just, like, failed for the rest of my... <laughs> career yeah I was, I was yeah i hated school it was like it was it was absolutely like horrendous and you just wait especially as you get older and you just wait and there's this club called the anthrax that we'd all go to in stanford yeah and we're just be like fucking waiting for the hours to go by and it's a secret that you had and right. no one else had mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah so course. yeah so that's so just i think with a lot of kids under punk rock especially the time again like pre-internet and pre this world where everyone kind of knows about it, it just becomes this like amazing secret when you show up you know, Monday, and everyone else just had a keg party, you know, and you're, like, covered in bruises and a black eye, but had the yeah. bad, like, what the hell did you do? I'm like, it was the most amazing show. You right, know right, I mean? right. So, yeah, so the, the music had basically consumed you by that point. And like, did you did you have an inkling that you wanted to, like, play and perform in bands, yeah, like, at that so, point? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, I mean, it goes back to, and we talked about it on, on the, in the P to 2 thing, but, yeah. like, becoming, you know, I became a vegetarian before I even knew what the word was. Of course. And I was, like, seven, you know, seven years old. I didn't really perfect it until, because then you keep learning everything, like, oh, fuck, marshmallows, really? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, 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 really, yeah. I only, as a kid, I only ate, like, you know, Cheerios, hot dogs, marshmallows, and Jello. Right. And then all I got left with was like Cheerios. You know, but yeah. So you know, but then all of a sudden, you get you know, I find this. I'm into punk rock. This is amazing. This whole world is open up to me. Mm-hmm. And then I get the seven inch chicken squawk from you know from MDC, and I'm right. just like, holy shit! I'm like, this is everything that I think. And this, these people think this too? Like, I didn't even know this. Right. You right. know, it was like amazing though. Like, never mind already, I've found this world that you feel so encapsulated in, especially before you're part of the scene. Mm-hmm. Especially before you're part of all the politics and who's cool and who's not and all that that destroys everything because human humans were just terrible people anyway. Right, <laughs> right, right, you ruin right. everything. Yeah. But when you're just imagining what it's like, you know, and you're 12 years old and that's like, oh my God, this is fucking amazing. Right. So then it became, then you go to shows and then you're like, and I was, um, one good thing about being old is that I got to see Black Flats. And right. then you're there and it's like, holy shit, there's Henry Rollins. Or there's Kira, the bass player, the biggest like crush on. You yeah, know? yeah, of course. And, you know, or there's Kevin Seconds. There's, you know, so it's very, uh, so, I mean, everyone talks about time. It's really, too, it's like, holy shit, I can do this. Mm-hmm. You know, so me and my friends, who were just other farm kids from my school, were just like, hey, man, let's start this band. So we started our first band when, like, when I was 13. Right. You know? Did you have, did you have a guitar by that time? Like, no, I you... had a bass. Okay. That I, uh, um, that I got handed down from my uh, brother Gladwin. And oh, bass, okay. Got it. guy in his band. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I, I think it must have just stole. I mean, he must have been out of the house and I just stole from him. Right. That time. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go ahead and borrow this yeah, for a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, started playing. You know, that's the great thing about punk rock is everyone can do it. And, of course. And at this time, again, like, I hate, I've always hated, it's like every generation, because we got it all the time, is like, oh, your generation doesn't understand what it's really like. Of course, you know, right. Your generation right. is so much better. The only thing that's different that would happen later is when I was into punk rock and first started going to shows. It was like everyone either had been in an institution or had been in juvenile hall. Like everyone was a fuck up, mm-hmm. you know. And there were also kids, maybe like two or three, that had gone to college and had a fanzine, and were like, "This is really great and positive." Right. And everyone else was just like a fucking derelict, like a dirtbag. And that right. was really great to find myself in that. Where it's really sketchy to go to a show 
And then in the 90s, when that tried to be recreated, it was sketchy to go to show because of all this faux gang, all that bullshit. Yeah, trying to recreate what was actually a bunch of crazy fucked up people who really needed medication or to be institutionalized. Right, right, you know, right. But then it became like, this is my crew, I'm going to smash you in the face. So it became very different. But in the 80s, like, going to those shows, it was like... As you graduated high school, you... Well, did you graduate high school? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good, that's good. Yeah. Um, the, you know, did you... Was it basically like, all right, you're just getting thrown out in the world, like, you are not going to go to college at all, you're just going to try to figure out, like... I actually... was funny, because I had, you know, I did horribly, horribly in school. Right. And uh, I was a total, you know, I was a total fuck up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got mocked up for a while, and then I was out, and then I was back in. I was just like, really, really, you know. Now this time, <clears throat> when I was 14, I first got out of juvenile hall, and I came home, and I got into a fight with my father. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I ever struck back, and it was oh, wow. really weird, man. It was like, it was not like... In the movie version, be like, this is amazing, and of like, course. yes, but it was totally, it was, it was totally like really animalistic. It was just yeah. like this, something had happened, he'd shoved me back on the couch, and I'd stood up, and he was, I was still really small, I was probably like 110 pounds, and you know, he was 6'1", 300 something pounds, shoved me back down, and I got up and I punched him in the face, wow. and he fell back, because just was so surprised, and I just punched and kicked and punched and kicked, and it was like this whole... It like opened something up. Opened inside. something yeah, up, yeah. and it was almost like if you've had the, you know the horror of having to see like animals fight sure and it's like that afterwards almost like vomiting of course know, like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's almost like that sort of thing it was so animalistic and instead when I was little and I always be like my mom in like in the in the, in the door of the room my bedroom like screaming at my father to stop hitting me right right now she was in the doorway of this is in the living room screaming at me to stop you know kicking him and kicking right. him and kicking him and but it broke something it broke this seal and he never raised his hand to me again, or wow. you know what I mean. So it's like weird. It's like all of a sudden I've been trying to stop something, and then it did. And this yeah. is what worked for it. So right. this whole kind of thing became like unleashed. And yeah, I mean, for the, it's so interesting because it's like you do. Yeah, at that point you would have no reason to not feel like that can settle everything. Totally. Like that. Exactly right. The world is, I mean, it's, it's, it's silly to say, but it's really true. And I lived my life by it up until a couple of years is like the world didn't stop kicking me until I started kicking back right. and harder. Yeah. You know, that's, you don't want something to happen, then then just smash it out. Right. You know? Right. And, um, yeah. And that really is like, oh, talk about might makes right. You know, like, okay, cool. Maybe right. I bet that's, I have that right here. Right. That's right. This, right. Right. This, I was rewarded by doing this. That's exact, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. so that became very much of this also cycle. And it's like, and it's not even like explaining or justifying like that. That's just like the no. reality of the situation. Of course. Like, of course. Is, this is what I learned. This is the positive feedback I got from it. Yeah. And I continued to make my own horrible life decisions after that. Sure. Sure. But this is, you know, this is how I was informed by it. Right. But it was when um, my mom had come to me and she had been like, one of the reasons why they'd adopt me, she just lost a child. Oh, okay. So she was very much like, you were my second chance. She's mm-hmm. just like, I was your second chance. She's like, you need to do better. Like, you're just going downhill and you're going to like dead in the gutter. Like, you have to do something. Right. And so I was like, okay, cool. And... Probably that's probably literally what I say. Right. <laughs> okay, cool, mom. <laughs> yeah, thanks for pouring out your soul to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. And uh, and then I there's this thing called the uh, Center for Creative Youth at Wesleyan University where mm-hmm. they take kids that are gifted, allegedly, and uh, and you go away to a summer program. Okay. And uh, and I went to that, and it okay. was like so amazing because some people were talking about art and writing and music and all this stuff. It was yeah. really it was rad. Right. And. Um, and I was like, holy shit, well, maybe I can. Like, maybe I will do this. Maybe I can turn my life around, even though I have, like, Fs and Ds. I'm only getting, right. I'm only graduating or moving from 
thing to thing because the teachers don't want me anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it became very much, holy shit. And that's when I discovered Morris D's, you know, who started the Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. what I want to do. I want to be like that. Like, I'm going to be like a success story. It's going to be right. amazing. I'm going to go to college. That's funny that you recognize I could be a success story. Totally. I can come from this, this, you know, pretty mm-hmm. unideal environment. And like and, bla- and totally and yeah. I was so like I'm gonna become a lawyer. This is gonna be amazing. Yeah. I just sounded like Harvey Levin on right. TMZ. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to become right. like this guy. This is my hero. And it's funny because I didn't think at all about my parents who are civil rights activists. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. just like, this guy. I want to do it that way. I'm like, I want to kill my boogeyman myself. And this is the man who's done it. He's right. destroyed them. You know, basically decimated them. And you know, something unfortunately you can't kill. Right. But um, sooner or something. That's what I'm gonna do. So I, you know. Obviously, couldn't afford school. Right. And uh, I got to this Antioch University. It doesn't exist anymore. There's one out here. There's one in Yellow Springs, Ohio, where I could write this great essay of like, yo, I was nothing. You know, and right. I have this, this is what I want to do. I know my grades are horrible. Right. You know, I know. I think my SATs were just like, I don't like horrendous. Right, right, right. Like, like so you got bad. your name right, right. I got my name right. That's probably it. Hopefully I got that right. <laughs> right. So bad. Like I should not be going to college. Right. And which everyone else agreed that I should not be going to college except for Indiana University. It's a school where you don't have grades. We can literally uh, major in like ultimate frisbees. Like right. Super, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Grade. For sure. Sure. And um, <clears throat> so I was just like, this is like, so they, I got accepted there. So okay. It was awesome. It was amazing. And that was in Ohio, you said? It was in Ohio. Okay. I got it. And uh, so I went there when I was 17. I got it one semester. And then I came back home, and because of some violence and some stuff that I'd done before that I got uh-huh. involved with, um, that came back, those uh, those chickens came back to roost, as yes, they say. Yes, And I got jumped, and I got beaten, and I got left with brain damage. So that kind of derailed that whole success story. So of you're very much like, I want to go out and slay the boogeyman. I want to con- I want to take care of these like racist groups, and I want to do something Right, nice. right. Life and again, it was my own doing of something, and I caused this. Yeah, you're, it's like you're not trying to paint this as like this tragic story, but just like, well, like I got like I got fucked up because I did this other because I did this. Yes, yeah. right. I, I took a rock and I smashed someone's face and I caused this reconstructive surgery. Yeah, yeah. So then his much older like you know cousins and you know and friends came and they found me and right. then they beat me with uh, some sort of object and uh, it was baseball battle. Who knows? Right. And um, and I was left with brain damage. So I had trouble left hemisphere brain damage. So I had trouble speaking. I had to relearn how to like hold things with my right hand. Oh jeez. Yeah, it was hard. It was like my tongue felt like a million miles thick. Yeah. And you can't keep. I couldn't keep in any information. So I'd be sitting. And my best friend, my brother. I've always grown up with my brother. You know, we're not blood related. Mm-hmm. So my best friend's name is Jocko, and um, who was in most of my punk rock my bad teenage bands with sure and so i'd be with my mom and i'd be like where's jocko where'd jocko go and she'd start to cry because i literally just asked her that like 15 seconds before but uh, i had no memory of yeah, it yeah 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 and uh so i had to go through a bunch of like occupational you know uh therapy and sure. physical therapy and stuff so that derailed that right so then me and my best friend uh ended up in boston where he's like spent some time in boston ended up in boston together mm-hmm. and that's where kind of like the whole boston era of course, yeah, yeah that's really like all of it. I mean, because you played four fifty four big block, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was that was that like your first official sort of like touring band? Where like you? Yeah, actually... I played. Yeah, I played in a. Um, I played this band in Connecticut when I was a kid uh, called Skeletal Ambitions. And we played okay. in a tour and went out with like DRI. Oh, okay. Like and then I played in uh, Force of Reality, like the skinhead band. Oh, sure, like, sure. Pete Morse, who's you know, my best friend growing up in Waterbury. Uh, he actually grew up in Waterbury as opposed to me. Yeah, yeah. Clean water, even though I lived like you know thirty miles away. <laughs> right. It's just so funny how the world is. Like that. I mean, the kid like Waterbury, the 
biggest thing. Yeah, and then you're out huge. here in Los Angeles, like, have you ever Waterbury? What? So what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this is this cultural touchstone of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they forced reality, and then uh, and then that was like very small. It was really bad. Yeah. As a bass player. Then I was in Wrecking Crew. And then Fourth okay. Big Block. Got it. Got it. Got it. <clears throat> and then so basically, once you started to kind of integrate yourself within like the Boston music scene, and it was just you felt at home there as far as like the scene was concerned. Yeah, it was different. Like being in Connecticut, it's like different. Some people can go from you're either a Yankees fan or a Red Sox fan. Oh sure. And Connecticut itself is really messed up because when you think of Connecticut, you think of like Darien, you think of like Fairfield County, or you yep. think of like Ray Capo and Ethan Today. Right. Right, of course, yeah. And that was a whole very different world. And that world, it does exist, and mm-hmm. it's all very rich, you right. know what I mean? But then there's also a whole lot of shit poor, like, you know, right. part, of, uh, part of Connecticut. And so you have a bunch of wild, crazy kids that you have nothing to do, you right. know what I mean? So you get into some crazy stuff. That's what, And that's why the Anthrax is so amazing, because then you have all these, and you have someone like Moby, you know, again, from mm-hmm. that whole kind of like Vatican Commandos, his band, yep. and from these kind of like wealthy area, then you have a bunch of crazy wild kids from whether it's New Haven or, you know, so on and so forth. Right. And, but then you're kind of torn between, oh, do you, like New York or Boston. Mm-hmm. And so I'd see, and I, oh, I loved Violent Children when I was a kid, like I loved Violent Children. I remember being at a show, is at the Anthrax, it might have been the old art gallery, the very first one, I'm not sure, with a mohawk and like, you know, because I was very, it's to this day, like my favorite bands like Crass and Conflict and all that. Got it. And so I'm all geared up with all this stuff, you yeah. know what I mean? I'm like white out, like on my, you know, jacket yeah. and stuff. And I couldn't even afford a leather jacket, so it was like some shitty like denim jacket from like Marshalls or <laughs> right, something. Right, 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 right. And walking by this group of, like, kids that are all, like, these healthy, white, fucking gleaming teeth smiles, you know what I mean? Right. And uh, some of which, you know, including, you know, people that were in, you know, violent children that would be in uh, Youth of Today. Sure. And all these kids were, like, varsity jackets and stuff. Like, everyone that you hate in the real world now are at a show, and then someone's saying something about, like, my mohawk or something. You know, it's a right. little kid. I was, like, a weird kid. Like, fucking right. mixed race kid with a mohawk. Sure. And so I was like, that is everything I fucking hate. Right. So it was weird. So then you go, and then that kind of world, kind of fake, posy, whatever world, was very much also into New York and yeah. all that kind of stuff. And then you have, even though this was its own artifice and lie, at the time we did not realize in the 80s, people from Boston would come down. Yeah. And I would see Choke smash people in the head oh, with fucking dude, hockey sticks. Sure. Yeah, yeah. himself in the head. We need to make an impression from our town. and this is That's what we're going to do. Yep. Exactly. Yep. And then it'd be like, you know, he was like Wrecking Machine and Hank Pierce and all these dudes. And I'm just like, that's my kind of straight edge. And that's how straight at the time. I'm like, that's yeah. my straight edge. It's not like give everyone a hug. I'm going to smash them in the face with a yeah. hockey stick because right. I'm better than you. That city, that, I mean, the, as it's well documented, that city, like Boston and the scene was obviously a complete response to all of that that was existing. Complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's such a blue collar town. It's a nasty. Yeah. And I was, I spent the majority of my life in Boston, more so even in rural Connecticut. Right. And... Um, although the thing about Boston is though I spent 17 years like that like I'll never be from Boston but even though I am from Boston right right but uh, you weren't born there and you weren't born in like you know Brigham Women's and Children you're not from Boston of course of course but uh, um, but looking at these guys like from Alvarill and like just bands like SSD and stuff it's mm-hmm. like this real actual like tough like working class like thing as opposed to DC 
which is great. And I loved a lot of DC bands and obviously everyone loves Minor Threat. Of course. But they were all people that had money. They're all people whose parents were in the government. They all come from totally. money. You know, it, was, it was very intellectual. Even though it was aggressive, it was very intellectual in their approach. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. And there wasn't... So that's... So it, and then, you know, New York was just like its own thing. And New right. York is very much like, you know, what's great about New York. It's very much like, hey, look at me. I'm from New York. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, Boston yeah, yeah, yeah. is very much like the opposite of that. Right, right, Boston's right. So you felt... I mean, you felt like, obviously, like you said, you spent a lot of time there. So you felt like you could just completely step into that scene and obviously oh completely and like, everyone knew because it was such a because especially everything was centered around the anthrax at that right. point you know what I mean that's we true, go to the channel true. we go to CBs the matinees and so, so everyone kind of knew each other from you know Choke uh, put out a Force Reality record and stuff right. like that so we knew him from that and we sure, knew like sure. Boston, we knew like the Wrecking Crew guys Eye for an Eye and all those bands and right, stuff like right, that right. so yeah that just became like the logical choice as opposed to yeah totally and just Boston there's like that whole kind of underdog thing too sure just like it's against the world. Right. And did you, uh, did you, you know, once you started to tour and obviously, you know, play a lot of bands, it, was it one of those things like that, you felt like that was your trajectory? You're like, I'm going to be, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tour. I'm going to do this thing. Like as a, as a musician, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that became like your whole world. Definitely. Right. Just touring and then coming home and eating shit. You know what I mean? And just having nothing. You know, right. like, being, you know, we were homeless for a lot when we first went there. We'd find an apartment and that would go to shit. We'd all just stay. And then also was the recession and happened at that time right excuse me so it was all of a sudden you're in areas like the first place we lived uh, was in this area called Symphony in Boston which is actually really nice now but at the time there was like a park there it was like awful like crack dealers and <laughs> yeah. hookers and all these apartments were empty because mm-hmm. no one owned them now the bank owned them so you just like squat from place to place but it was amazing because right. you're actually I was I'd been in New Haven when we were squatting in like basically like a hovel somewhere like a shack basically right, right. Like the same thing in, in Ohio you know and um, and then all of a sudden you're like we're squatting in this awesome three bedroom apartment right. <laughs> even though there's you know 40 of us but, right right know, right right but still there's a roof overhead there's room yeah this is yeah. amazing and all the electricity got turned off you know and yeah, then, yeah, like, yeah you know my friend actually got the whole building shut down because there had been a gas leak and he'd been freebasing on the fourth floor we lived on the second floor and there's a flash fire in his apartment and uh, so he went out to the outside, onto the lip, onto the window ledge, yeah. and thought he had no choice, and dove off and ended up dying. Oh like, my killed gosh. himself, jumping four stories. Even though it's, the horror of it is that it was a flash fire, they actually could have walked this path and out right. the door, but right. he was also you know, stoned out of his mind. Totally. But so that got the whole building shut down, so then I'm still there. I ended up being the last person in the building with like me and my two pit bulls at the time, like huddling for warmth, you know what I mean? Like no electricity, no water, no nothing. Right. You know, and then it's like, shit, time to go on tour. You right. Know? So I just wonder, I, but you're, it's just, I mean, it was this cycle of just like, you, you were just biding your time to when you could to get always, on the road exactly right. I always loved touring I always loved touring because then at that point hopefully you're going to be able to eat you know yeah yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll at least get maybe five dollars a day yeah, where exactly. you'll be able to you know have something to eat like totally. you said totally. um, and then the because uh, I mean obviously it's been well documented and many people have written a lot of words about it but then the because to me always the, the impression that I got in regards to obviously like you said you know labeled as a as a gang leader in the spirit right, right, you know right, right. the Spearheading the the FSU crew, um, you, the word "crew" just always sounds like it's, it's such a dirty name to me. Yeah, like, I mean, there's obviously so many negative connotations to it, but it's just right. like to me, it, it always strikes me as like, okay, it's these. It, 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 honestly, it's probably the same intention that like you know Ian McKay had yep. for Straight Edge, where it's right. like, okay, like it's you and 15 of your friends. We're just right. like, well, hey, there's this thing, like let's, you know, let's like label ourselves as such, and then like, I mean, to me, like. 
it got so, uh, I guess, big for lack of a better term, um, and it became such a thing that I'm sure it was like 100% distorted from what I guess maybe the original intention was. Like, I don't, I mean, so, I, I don't know how, I don't know if that's something that like you are able to have perspective on now or uh, if, yeah. No, completely, and that's exactly right. And what's funny about it is that it's I had distorted it from where it originally began because it began as me and my best friend Bruce that right. moved. He was from Maine, and we moved to Boston together. And we already and we basically went to Boston. Again, this has also been well documented. Right, we were right, just right. like we're gonna make a name for ourselves. You know, sure. we had like these hammers that we always carry. We go to parties, and then we just beat everyone up with these hammers. You know, right. we thought that was normal. So we're come, and we come <laughs> from this other world that was so crazy. Yeah, New Haven stuff was going. On. New Haven was a thousand times crazier than going on in this in this big city of Boston. Right. So we just figured like we're gonna retire. We're out of that world. Our house has been shot up. We've done all this crazy stuff. We're like rescuing pit bulls and doing all this. You know, dealing with all these like uh, gangs at the time, like mm-hmm. you know, urban gangs there. And then we're like, we're going to retire in the city of Boston. Now, that was our way of retiring. We're going, like, oh, there's a party? Cool. Well, let's bring our hammers and beat everyone up so everyone knows who we are. Right. And it was actually Bruce who discovered the FSU guys first because FSU did exist. Right. And I remember seeing them all and I'm like, what a bunch of like well-fed, well-fed big white kids. You know what I mean? Like, what sure. are you guys angry about? Like, <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it, was, you know, it was different because we, we didn't have townies where I came from. It was, mm-hmm. it was a pretty good will hunting. So you have these dudes that were from, you know, Southie and Brockton and these areas. Right. So then it was Bruce that got into it first mm-hmm. and became very much... Again, and this is why it's always, I always hate, because it always has to be such uh, simplified again. Of course. Crap. So he's going to write about it, and it's going to be in something. It's going to be like, okay, well, you were the leader, which was never true. Right. There was no leader. And everyone thinks that's like a legal thing. Yeah. I'm like, I have no case going on. I'm done. There just never was a leader. You just like. Right. You, you watch Sons of Anarchy, and it's like the, right. the idea, like, they're so, I mean, in, in its core, it's like, you know, hardcore kids and punk kids, like, they're not organizers to begin with in the sense yeah, of like, exactly. oh, here's this structure, this hierarchy. Totally. We're going to exactly. take minutes. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? And it's like, it's not even evolved enough to where it's like, you know, you look at whatever, like, you know, the bloods of the Crips and it's like, there's some level of organization there because like... There's money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and it's not like this, hey, we're going to shows and like beating people <laughs> yeah. up and it's like, like there's an organization behind exactly. that? Who's going to have to even take like, you know, across the country, 400 alpha males and be like, oh yeah, I'm your leader. Yeah, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, that'll fly. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, it's, I think, and originally the kids, and you know, obviously it was like black kids and Latino kids then as well. Right. And then Bruce got involved and became right. very much like Bruce was my brother. Bruce is my brother. Sure. Became very much like, ah, dude, come on, that's not our thing. Like, I'm going to sing this band Wrecking Crew. Let's, you know, we're done with all that stuff. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, once Bruce has enemies, like, nope, nope, that means they're my enemies too. And that's how I ended up becoming, I joined FSU after Bruce. Right. I'm going to, I couldn't do what I tried to do by being... You know, I couldn't be Morris D's in the Southern Poverty Law Center. Right. But let's do it this way. Sure. You know, let's smash Nazis, mm-hmm. you know, and let's do this. And again, that's what has been written so much about. And other people, yeah. it's, it, it, that's really true. That's what happened. And that's what united this group of kids, even racist white kids. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like my friends, because it was Boston. Everyone's a fucking racist. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um... Uh, even if you're black, you're racist. Right. You know, everything's different. And, and, and Boston is such a different city than anywhere else. It can still surprise me. Boston is the only city, maybe in areas of Philadelphia, it's the same way, where white people aren't afraid of black people. Mm-hmm. You yeah. go to LA and it's straight like you go to the clubs in West Hollywood and there's like a black dorm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, oh better God, watch out. Better yeah. watch out. Even in New York, it's like, oh, even though everyone's together. Right. But all the white people I know in New York don't actually have black friends. It's like of a course. hipster friend. It's still very much like. And Boston is like, it's not that way. Right. And um, 
But uh, but I got derailed. So that's really became FSU became this thing. Well, what if we did this? And what if we were about doing this? Right. And it was always a struggle. So it's funny. So it kind of got distorted of like. Again, I'm just you want family and you want sure. kids to hang out, and that's what these kids were doing. Right. And then Bruce and I came, and just because we just happened to be also very like people that should, probably should be medicated at least or institutionalized or right, imprisoned, right, right. which we both have been, um, brought it to this other level. You know right. Because I mean? we were geared up to do this other stuff. Of course. Well, it's like it, it's funny because it's like you hear. I mean, hearing the way you describe it, it's like you know you had you had ambitions outside of what you could potentially accomplish on your own. Right. And. You join that up with something that is, you know, that uh, like we were joking about, like obviously loosely organized, but you're just like, well, we can maybe work together to kind of have this common goal, like right. to achieve this thing, um, and then and then be able to, you know, work together to become, you know, something larger than what I could have accomplished on my own. I'm exactly, and still doing it and being surprised and be like, holy shit, it wasn't intentional. Yeah. Oh wow, I'm, I'm on the path that I wanted to be on anyway. It's just right. a little bit different. <laughs> right. 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 And there's just a lot more, like, you know, bloodshed involved. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, no, for being, sure. Like, than being a lawyer. But, um, but, yeah, but still doing that. And then it's funny, there's always that kind of, and it always will be because it's, it's a bunch of hardcore kids. Yeah. You know, so it always will be the thing of, like, there are dudes that were just straight bullies that wanted to beat people up. Yep. You know what I mean? And then there are people that, like myself, that really wanted to do something, really believed in this thing. And right. Like the, and so it's funny, but you still have this, it's almost like having a family. To a certain extent, you can obviously control who is labeling themselves as such, but... Even that you can't. No, it's no. Spread, spread out, right? Right, like, exactly. Show up in Germany and kids come out like that are repping FSU and stuff. Right, right. and you're yeah. just, yeah. And so, like, when, when did it, I, I guess you could joke around where, I mean, it's no joking matter, but like, you know, when you get, when you went to jail, like, that is obviously when it can become even more real right, like right, oh my right. gosh like this is way this is so insanely out of control at, you know at that juncture is when you were able to like gain some perspective or was it even before that where you're just like like oh my gosh like this is so like it, it's funny because it, it would grow and it would blossom right and die so many times uh-huh. you know what i mean so yeah, it's yeah. like uh, again i'm trying not to because it's always been even when we've done it's always a hard, not, not a hard. It's a hard thing to talk about. Not to t- not emotionally hard. Of course, it's hard to actually technically because for one thing, it's always I've always been like, well, you know, talk about us, all of us. Yeah, and then that's a way to do. It. And then it's just like, oh shit, well, I don't. Then you want to indict a bunch of other people. Then like, okay, well, you know, I'll just talk about myself. And then that that becomes like, oh, like you're trying to take all the credit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're damned if you do, damned, damned, damned if, if you don't. don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. became this very thing of just we blossom and die and come back and come back. And there's what FSU has. It's um, has this reputation for was really a time when there's probably about like seven or eight of us. Right. You know, and that's really what set this tone and did all this stuff that has now become legendary. Of course. Yeah. And it's still continuing, and obviously it still continues to this day. Mm-hmm. And I, so it's, it's like a weird thing. It's like something, I had perspective on it only from a personal viewpoint. I had perspective right. on it when I would see it going a certain way. Right. And then try to reel it back from that way to go a different way. Sure, to sure. Because something more that I was interested in, and then I find like minded people even late in the game, you know right. what I mean? Like, you know, Joe Hardcore and the kids in Philly that right. were just like, you know, became brothers to me. And that's, you know, again, how it you spread out and got bigger and bigger. You find these people that are like... Yeah, know, cut from the same cloth. Cut yeah, from the yeah, same yeah. cloth, you know what I mean? And have like the same goal. So basically, you know, have this fire and continue, the fire continues on. To me personally, it became more about when I was like, when my mom got sick, you know? And I will, because I, it was, I remember a time when my mom came to Boston to visit me and she, they'd gone to West Virginia and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was like, I think it was like around like 17 or something. And at this point, she had left my dad. 
uh, I think she was around like 60 or something. Okay. And so she totally turned her life around. She just like left all this stuff behind. She's been working with like women in Appalachian Mountains, like teaching them how to take care of their children and working wow. on early childhood development. Completely like amazing, totally like self-made woman who mm-hmm. changed her life. And she'd come to Boston to visit once and I was so proud to take her around and everywhere we went and people would like be giving us free stuff and it would be like saying hello, you know, we're around this like certain area like in Mission Hill. Right. You know, and, um, and I'm like, oh, my mom's going to be out. Like, I'm a success. My mom's going to be so impressed. Right. You know, and then we're walking back and in a way like only a mom can make everything sound lame. You of know course. what I mean? She's yeah. just like, are you in the mafia? <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm sh- and I'm sure, yeah, like, I'm sure that that was, like, like she's like, this is what happens in movies. Yeah, exactly. This is what mom's like, what did, like, but she could realize that it was not out of some sort of, this guy is awesome. It was out of, like, oh, cool, fear. Out of okay. intimidation factor. Right. So like, yeah, she totally being, you know, smart and totally picked up on that. Wow. And it wasn't until she got sick that became, and I got to spend the last few weeks with her, like, in the hospice, at least, and apologizing. It was like, now it's not like, oh, yeah, well, I play in these bands, I do this and this, you know, and there's also this romance about it like yeah I'm a total you know I, I could do something else but you know I have poetry tattooed on my arms but instead I fucking do this and this and I come home right. and I have to fucking scrub blood out of my fucking shoelaces you know right, I mean? right. I have this and we're, now we're we're at war with the Hells Angels suppose. now we're at war with like you know what's left of the mafia and like all this kind of shit world but then you're there and you're watching your mother die and it's like no I'm just a fucking loser right and I have given her nothing to be proud of Right. At all. And again, like I would say, she's your mom, so she's proud that I could tie my shoes. Of you course. I mean? Yeah, yeah. She's proud of you no matter what you do, but then like you you started, the world opened up to where you like, you felt the onus on yourself to be like, oh wait. <laughs> yeah, oh wait, fuck, like I'm a loser. All like, these things, that, yeah, all these things that are supposedly important aren't at all. Aren't at all. Like and you're wrapped, exactly, and you're wrapped up in all this stuff and you, and each time, there are times when you try to like, would change and then something would put Bring me back, you back in. in. Yeah, yeah, of course. It was the death of my friend uh, Danny Edge, who I love, like a younger kid. He was kind of straddling both worlds at the time. There was, you know, FSU obviously was not a straight edge gang. Right. Um, there was a certain element of it that was straight edge. It was basically my group of people. And then, you know, again, like Joe Harcourt, much of the people and like in Chicago and so on. That was kind of like the... At their, so it was an FSU straight edge, even though the whole thing wasn't straight edge. <laughs> right, right. But randomly enough, and I will only, you know, indict myself. Yeah. We're doing the most fucked up shit. The dudes that everyone like, oh, FSU, they're just like a bunch of bullies, just beat people up. Right. Those dudes, you know, all are no, good, you know, guys that have a job. Right. They do this and this, and they yeah, get together, yeah. and the last, all the straight edge kids, we're the ones doing the most fucked up shit, you know, because right. they're straight edge. Right, right. We don't drink. We gotta do something else. You know, <laughs> right, we gotta right, right. the world somehow. Sure. So even then, and so I haven't watching kids at times, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go do something else. You know, I'm playing this all country band now. This is awesome. Right. And then having seeing younger kids who have a foot straddle in both worlds of like, oh, I can hang out with you dudes and like awesome girls and have fun and be right. straight edge and do this stuff and break the law in other ways. Or there's this other biker influence to do this stuff again with people that I love and just we're doing two different things, two different paths. Right. And then seeing them kind of fall between this crack that made me kind of try to, okay, no, let's try to steer this thing towards this. Sure. And feel like there's always this thing of like, you know, no one ever looked out for me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Except for it was like when I was younger, it was like me, you know, my friend Jocko, who I mentioned, and my friend Bruce. Right. And no one else gave a fuck about us. We created this whole world for us. And that's where FSU came from, the core of not what it was before moved to Boston, but what it became was right. basically about like Bruce has a problem. It's not his problem. It's my problem. If I have right. a problem, it's not my problem. It's Bruce's problem. And then he spread that out to people and further and further. Right, and that's right, the right. whole thing that you want to have just to basically 
because everyone's scared and you want to feel safe. And sure. in a very scary world at the time. And all comes out of that is just you want to feel safe. Of course. And uh, But then realizing that I built this whole life, but basically just piled it up on just a bunch of shit. Yeah, you know what I of mean? course. And That's you, something that you're, because like all, all, you're, all, all you're really doing at that time... And I mean, everybody's guilty of this, no matter what it is that they're, they're building. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's essentially just like a lot of, you know, busy work drama, whatever. And then you're just like, whoa, whoa, like, wait, like, this isn't actually like soul fulfilling. This yeah, exactly. isn't like exactly. scratching this itch that I feel like I need to get out. Like, obviously, like how, you know, what, what you're obviously doing now with filmmaking, where it's just like that, you know, that was always inside of you. It was just a matter of like, you just, you just neglected it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and yeah, you have, we all have this fire and I just come up in prison all the time because the whole thing in prison is just, oh, it always here all the time. It's just uh-huh. like, you know, you need to be humble. You need to be humble. You know, right. that's what they hear because you want it. Like people have tell me I'm a piece of shit my whole life. Like fuck being humble. It's not right. like I think I'm better than most. I'm just going to be the best that I can be. Right. Be, you try, there's this whole routine that happens in prison, you know, and, and where I was, was in like, you know, this high security administrative thing. So uh-huh. he didn't walk outside for like years. So we're always in top. And we're always there. It's like Whitey Bulger was there for a little bit, but he wasn't. Oh, I was in general population, obviously. He wasn't. Yeah, but yeah, I was yeah. like being from Boston. It was like holy yeah, shit, you're fucking Whitey. Like, yeah, Easter yeah. Bunny's here. Yeah. You know? And then thinking about it, and then being like, holy shit, and really feeling this sense of like home, like Whitey Bulger is somewhere in this fucking building, right? Right. right. And you know, getting a message to him and stuff. Then as it goes on, they're realizing, no, Whitey Bulger's a piece of shit. Like, Whitey Bulger destroyed people that I loved and families that I loved. And right. he's like a fucking, you know what I mean? So it's like really weird, this whole kind of thing. But then being, back to the whole thing about always being humble. Like, the whole thing that your success, if you know, don't go back to prison once you get out. And in California, there's, you know, recidivism rate, I have trouble saying that word. Yeah, yeah, Is like, you know, 70-something percent. Right, it's huge. go back. And... Oh, so it's this routine you do where you try to take classes. So I would take drug education classes even though I'm straight edge. Just right. to do something. Right. You know, because all my friends are basically Southsiders, which, you know, which are like Mexican-American uh, dudes that are like mostly like gang members and stuff like that. Or sure. Like, or like the prison system. There's like a whole different racial thing. That we, and um, so, you know, it's so like, hey, my friends, we go to these like drug education classes. And that all the counselors would be like, you know, you got to stay humble. You got to say this and this. You got to eat shit. I'm like, fuck that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if Spider was like the best drug dealer where he grew up, just take that same fire you have. Don't be fucking humble and just right. turn it into something else. That's sure. all I'm doing is like with filmmaking. I still have the same fire since I was a fucking kid. Right. And someone, you know, some fucking 13-year-old called me a nigger when I was seven and mm-hmm. me like swinging wildly and punching him and then getting fucking stomped out. Right, right, right. Um, but that's still, you still have that, but then how do you do that? And I let it get fucking crazy. Right. And I found other like-minded people who are just as like unstable as I was. Of course. That became my family, people I still love. Right. You know, because, you know, I can't interact with anymore because I'm on right, 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 roll. Right, right. Um, but, you know, there's still people that are in my heart. Yeah. And, you know, we went and we set the world on fire in this way. And it became, obviously, this bigger thing than we thought and different than we thought of course and and became, it becomes really complicated when we're just like oh that person's a fucking asshole right but that person's my brother right and so he's totally doing he's being a, he's being a bully and I because this whole thing was started because the fight against bullies right you know and then like holy shit that dude's being a bully 
but then you get a complicated thing about, but you're also my brother. And if you would promise my problem, it becomes very, everything becomes corrupt because of humans course. are terrible. That's why the more there are of us in anything, the worse we are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, how did, so, I mean, how, I mean, obviously like as you, you know, as you got out of prison and like, I mean, the, the, the fire for filmmaking existed prior to you. Oh yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. That was always my escape. Like yeah. there's always reading all this stuff and filmmaking like, again, which is, you know, been written about, but I had yeah. nervous sticks when I was a kid, you right. know, um, because I was so terrified of the world. The world was so fucked up. I was getting the shit kicked out of me all the time. I just wanted to keep my mom safe. I just want to fucking keep myself safe. Um, and so I just, you know, I had crazy nervous sticks. The only time I wouldn't have them was when I'd watch TV, you know, and it'd be like Planet of the Apes on a Sunday night movie or Billy Jack, my favorite movie of all time. Right. You know? And that became my escape because my mom that realized like, oh, like you're not doing it. Like nothing's happening. Like when this or when you're reading a book. Right. And then, you know, I got rid of the nervous tics because I just pushed that shit down even worse, deeper inside of me, yeah. you know. And then that's when the violence started and all this. And, but even when I was in Boston, I was talking, like, I would always, I'd be like, oh, Bruce, I gotta go see this girl. I gotta see this girl. I'll be back. You know what I mean? And then I'd take off and then I'd go to, like, the Coolidge Corner Theater or the Brattle Theater and I'd go see, like, a Terrence Malick film. You know what I mean? Right, 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 right. I didn't know anything about this world, but just that's what I wanted. I'd be the person because I didn't want to go back to that world outside. Sure. And so, like I said, I would say, like, I'd wait to the last credit, you know, I just want to stay in there. And so that film always meant something so much to me. And, like, you know, filmmakers like David Gordon Green, you know, I see them come out all the time. And, but it didn't seem like anything you could do, unlike punk rock, where right. you could see that, and I could watch that band. I'm like, oh, I could do that. I could listen to Christ on Parade and be like, I could do this. Right. I was going to start my band just like this became like that's a whole nother world like, oh these happened. I mean there, there are so many barriers to entry in regards Completely. to like oh these here, here's these gigantic gates that where am I supposed to walk through totally and then yeah. and then never realized there's millions of people trying to get in these gates. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can't even get to the front of the crowd right so I never ever thought it would happen I spent that time with my mom and apologizing and then she basically was just like almost the same conversation she had when I was you know younger and getting out of Juneau Hall for the second time and she was just like, you know, it's not too late. You can still do something. You right. still have like a second chance. Like nothing's too late. I just met this girl that I'd started dating and uh, who had no interest in the world that I was in at all. Right. You know? And, uh, you know, she was like a punk rock kid, but she was like, had no interest in FSU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, oh, cool, here, like, let's go. And there's one, you know, it was like, oh, let's come down. We'll go see my boyfriend. You know, he's working because we worked at all the clubs. Sure. We ran the clubs and then someone that happens in the group happens to ironically be wearing a shirt that I had to call my friend Gibby in New York like yo dude is this a white power band he's like I don't know man they're kind of on the fence like okay cool we'll stomp them out anyway you know what I mean and I think that's just normal so right, better safe like, than sorry better right, safe right. than sorry some are right. stomping out you know this and all these people and then and my right. girlfriend's like what <laughs> What are you doing yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what is this and um so and then but basically realizing like I had to do something and having like you know John Cassavetes picture on my wall and like mm-hmm. just basically fetishizing film and uh, and it didn't happen right away like I wish it happened right away but of I was course. just like shit I want to just I'm going to do something she's like let's go to LA want to <clears> like, do movies want to do something want like my best friend Chad Gilbert was out here right with his newfound glory and I've known we just had our uh, God was it our it was like I think it was like our twentieth year of friendship or something like that we just celebrated together. that's awesome. And uh, and he's always been, and it's funny putting out, you know, I put out the, the film Little Birds, and it's really about me and Bruce. But then after doing it, I'm like, a lot of that is like, in a different way, is also about Chad and I, because Chad has always laughed. He's like my Alice, and no matter what, he was always there for me. He has no interest in the stuff that I was doing, you right? Know what I mean, but never judged. Sure, you know, and he would come to Boston to come like hang out because his band would play. I'm like, oh, dude, this is great. 
yeah, just hang out. And then there's going to be a riot. You know what I mean? This is going to happen. And chill out. You know, he has all these funny stories about it. But he was always like, he was always like my brother. So there's one more touchstone I had out here. Yeah. Like, that's a positive energy I want to be around. Sure. So, yeah, long story short, we packed everything we had in 2006 into our van, my girlfriend and I. And then moved out here. And I'm like, I'm going to make movies. Then you get out here and you're like, how the fuck? Yeah, where do I? Movie? Yeah, what is this? And, um... And uh, and just again, it wasn't like burning any bridges. There wasn't any like, oh well, putting that world behind me. Like I'm above that. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, yeah. it's all part of like who you are. Right. And so I came out here. I'm going to try to figure it out. And then really quickly, a movie got made or got put together. It's supposed to be about my life. Because then all of a sudden, all these articles came out. Of course. And yeah. And it was, became like, oh, we're going to do this version, and you're going to be like, you started this gang with your best friend, and which is already wrong. So right. You guys started this gang. <laughs> And you're like Robin Hood and you did this and this. And there are definitely, there's there's a version of that that is true. Like we did do these things. We did, you know, um, also give money to charity. We did fight drug dealers and rob drug dealers. All of these things are true. Right. But what, when you simplify that, of course, becomes this thing as opposed to all this ugly black poison that's in there as well. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, where you're just as complicit. But I didn't know how to verbalize all this. All I knew is I would go to these meetings and we'd sit there and you'd go and you'd go to all the studio heads and and Nick Cassavetes, you know, who is a really great guy, uh, you know, Justin Timberlake was going to play me, which is fucking ridiculous. And Nick Cassavetes was going to direct. And I had this picture of his dad on my wall. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, you made it. Right. And then you're in these meetings with these writers, these two college-educated, smart guys. And they'd be like, oh, you know, then the end of the second act, like, Elgin's mom dies, you know. And everyone goes like, oh. You know, and I'm like, fuck, that's like my mom. That's yeah, my yeah, wife. yeah. Like, that's real. Yeah, that's not an anecdote. That's not an anecdote. Exactly. That's my fucking life that I just went through. Right. And you know, then there's a thing about then his friend Danny dies and all this. And then, but I'd come home and my wife and I, we had nothing. We didn't know anyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. We were both like, we were living off. She, I don't even know if she had a job. I was an assistant. We had nothing with no money. Right. And... I was like, I need to do this for her. And then finally they wanted to make, which makes sense, they want to make my character white for mm-hmm. Justin to play. Sure. And I'm like, well, why would this mixed race, I mean, why would this white kid start this gang against, you right. know? What's his motivation? What's his motivation? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I realized I knew more about story than everyone else that was there. So I walked away and I decided, like, I'm going to write about, like, me and my best friend. And then I was like, how the hell do I do that? Right, right. <laughs> Without doing the same things and glorifying this violence and glorifying all the stuff that I'm just getting away from. Sure. And, um, and then that's where the idea of like, well, I'm going to make us like two 15 year old girls. Cause right. also two 15 year old boys don't say anything. Like I always say, we just been like, fuck you. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no expression of emotion. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Girls are so much more complicated, so much smarter. And that's right, how right. the whole thing came about. And by doing that, I lost everything. Like I lost my agent. I lost anyone that was interested in me at the time. Right. And then just by, you know, finding the right people and the right mentors. And that's from Robert Redford. Um, came into my life and became like this was the same with punk rock I'm not taking the easy way out I'm like yeah I gotta go with my gut right and it's not like oh I know my gut this is right I just know this makes me feel sick mm-hmm. like this makes me feel like wrong like I wanna throw up so that's wrong right I gotta go with this I'm just gonna express myself I don't care if anyone ever sees this movie or I don't care if anyone ever gets made I have to get this out right and then that's what you get rewarded for right you know well yeah I mean I, I think cause it, it's funny cause like you see it, it, you know, this this can kind of be the last the last train of thought, but like the, especially at this day and age, I mean, I, I truly believe, like, I mean, you can even reference the past, like maybe five years, I'd say. There's just been uh, people are 
they want honesty in whatever art they're consuming, whether it's right. music, whether it's you know movies, TV, whatever. They like these these singular visions that you can just like clearly tell have spawned from one, maybe two people. Right. Um, and it's like that 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 gets rewarded eventually. Whether yeah. you know whether you're 20, whether you're 60, like whatever, like the people, especially now, because people want that. You know, as we were talking about earlier, it's like you you just want to have that experience. You want to have that connection where it's just like, oh, those thoughts that I have, like, oh, like other people can express them, like right. be more eloquently than yeah, me, right, right. and like uh, you know, in, in a beautiful manner. But it's like, yeah, that's that's perfect. That's all anybody is looking for, just that honesty and that currency. And I think that's, I mean, people are now gravitating to it. But people like you know, like you said, like Rob Redford, all these people that are considered luminaries within the field have been doing it for years right. and like unrewarded in some sense of the term, right? You know? Totally. It's like now, now you're able to now. It's like that's why a movie like Little Birds can exist now because it, it the world is ready for that. Yeah, hopefully, and the whole point of it is just to me. It's like even when I played in bands, even when I was in Righteous Jams, like our yep. whole thing was always like and Joey and I, you know, Joey C, mm-hmm. still one of my closest friends in the world, and my brother, and it would always be like we're not playing, even though we were a cool kid band. Right. You know what I mean? And we were like the popular with the popular kids. Right both sides of the crew or mm-hmm. the group right um but we weren't ever playing for them we're playing for like the 14 year old kids that we were mm-hmm. that everyone hated right you know what i mean and that you won't feel so alone in the world and i've taken that same thing with film and try to do the same thing with little birds because that's all any kind of whether it's punk rock music hardcore whatever it can be just to not feel so alone in the world yeah and that's that's a great thing about you know yeah no it's all i mean it's just it, it's just great because it's like you know you've You've obviously been able to take all the darkness that has, you know, uh, consumed a lot of portions of your life and have been able to, like, been able to reinvent yourself but still retain who you are, if that makes sense. Like, you know, like... And it's there. And you find people that are, like, there's lots of all this other distraction stuff around there. There's mm -hmm. dudes smoking cigars that make war movies that are actually, you know, full of shit. Yeah, yeah. And then you find the right people. Then all of a sudden I'm making this movie with my best friend, Gino Temple, whose dad just happens to be Julian Temple, who's, you know, first, you know, when I saw, you know, the great rock and roll swindle, you know what I mean? Or the record of sex, basically the fifth sex whistle. Yeah. Like how, so when I finally met him and then Julian Temple is at the premiere of Little Birds at Sundance, yeah. And I'm like, you completely fucked up my life. He's got me into punk rock. Sex Pistols was the first band I ever got into. <laughs> right. But how amazing to come all the way. You think it's so different, but I'm actually in this also amazing spot with right. this person. And then to hear how they were just a bunch of fucked up kids in England. They would never think that some kid in the woods in fucking rural New England totally. would be watching this or right. you know, listening to this. And that would connect somehow. It's yeah. crazy. And also to realize the reality of it is also it's not this pretty picture. It's not like a people see of like, oh, punk. I've also these people that are, they were maniacs and they're still maniacs. You know what right. I mean? This is a dude who's still fiercely fighting to get his films made. It's, yeah, it's this very, very, <clears throat> this great insular circular thing that you get rewarded just again by staying to your punk rock ethics and roots and your gut. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for obviously oh, yeah. hanging out and fucking talking, yeah. talking about your shop. Thanks, man. <laughs> so there you go. That was Elgin. And um, yeah, I could have talked to him for probably like two or three hours, but you know, I had to uh, respect his time. I'm not going to sit here and be like, hey, here we go. Let's just do this marathon podcast. Yeah, great dude. Check out his stuff. Like I said, if you haven't seen his film, Little Birds, you need to do so immediately. Yeah, it's just a great film. 100wordspodcast.com, propertyofzach.com. The editor, as always, is Tom Richfield. Just over the course of the next few weeks, let me just tease you. I'll just tease you with, because I don't even know if anybody listens to this part of the show, but here's some upcoming guests. I have... 
Stephen Egerton, the drummer of Descendants, on the show. I have John Vigil from The Ghost Inside. I have Steve Brodsky from Cave In. Like, that's just over the course of the next month. Like, strap in. I got some awesome stuff coming. So, until next week, thank you, everybody. Peace out.